Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we'll be discussing how, by learning about the goddess qualities within, women and all people can step into their innate divinity and lead powerful, abundant, and wise lives. I'm delighted to be joined today by Acharya Shunya, who is an award-winning and internationally renowned spiritual teacher and scholar of Advaita non-dual wisdom and is a classically trained master of both yoga and ayurveda she offers many courses and retreats and is the author of numerous books her new book that we will be discussing today is called roar like a goddess every woman's guide to becoming unapologetically powerful prosperous and peaceful her book will be published in just a few weeks in september 2022 you can find out more about Acharya Shunya at her two websites, acharyashunya.com, and Acharya is A-C-H-A-R-Y-A, Acharya Shunya, S-H-U-N-Y-A.com, and awakenedself.com. You can also follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Acharya Shunya. We will put the links to her websites on our website at theyogahour.com. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Welcome, I should say, welcome back to the Yoga Hour, Acharya Shunya. I'm really delighted that you could join me today on the podcast. Laurel, may I say, it's always a pleasure and a delight to converse with you. It's something I look forward to. So before we dive into our dialogue about how to connect to our inner divine goddess, let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness, A moment of contemplation. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, perhaps driving, and just bring our attention to our body in space. Just feel the body, and in particular, feel the surfaces that are supporting your weight. Where are your feet? What part of your weight is supported by a chair if you're sitting? And then turn your attention to the breath. Wonderful tool that's always with us. Just noticing as you take the next inhale and exhale. Feeling the cool air in the nostrils on the inhale. And feeling the warm air as it flows out. Continuing to follow the breath, here's something to contemplate. A teaching from Yogacharya O'Brien, the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Beyond what we say or do, it is ultimately our consciousness that others experience. 
the consciousness of those who are spiritually awake shines like the sun, giving light and warmth to all. Their presence emanates blessing, and their words have power. Being near them is an uplifting reminder of our true nature. Beyond what we say or do, it is ultimately our consciousness that others experience. The consciousness of those who are spiritually awake shines like the sun, giving light and warmth to all. Their presence emanates blessing, and their words have power. Being near them is an uplifting reminder of our true nature. Oh. Once again, Acharya Shunya, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Today, we'll, we're fortunate, very fortunate to be discussing your new book, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. This is part one of the conversation, and you'll be back in a few weeks to continue to discussing these very powerful and very important goddesses. Um, and we should mention right now that the book is not currently available, but you is, it is available for pre-order, and you will get it in just a few weeks. Why did you write this book at this time? It was time, and I felt that something incredible, divine, and feminine, in short, the goddess, which is one with my higher self, impelled me and encouraged me to write this. In fact, I was working on a semi-academic book on psychology mm -hmm. at the time of this book suddenly showing up in my consciousness. I had no plans. My work with the goddess was my private work, mm -hmm. and I was not ready as yet to go public with it. It was something I just hadn't thought about, Laurel. And then suddenly, um, during a nine-day goddess festival, mm. uh, a miracle happened, and I just couldn't work on that other book. I just had to start a new page on my laptop. I just had to begin writing. It was like, um, maybe it's time for all women to come out of their closet and begin roaring, really. <laughs> well, I do love that. I do love how the word roar is in the title and you talk about talk about how women uh, converse, how women present themselves in the world. And perhaps this idea of roar is something that's unfamiliar to to women. So did you want to even just say a few words about that? I compare the roar to our authentic voice. And typically a roar in a human jungle would be compared to the majestic roar in a typical jungle. And once you hear the roar, it's definitive, it's authoritative, it's original, and one knows that it's the most majestic sound possible. No other doubts about it. Let's compare it to the voices that we've owned. Even I've been a part of those collective voices, diffident voices, doubting voices, apologetic voices, explaining voices, persuasive voices, seductive and manipulative voices. And uh, I've owned those voices at a different time. 
but really owning my roar means maybe I'm none of that. And maybe there is a deeper voice within me, the voice of my soul, the voice of my higher divine feminine anchored self. It's a self-celebrating at the same time, dharmic anchored in wisdom and truth and light kind of voice. And I definitely own a roar now. And I see the difference. I see the difference. My yes has power. My no has power. Mm. Well, that's beautiful. Both your yes and your no have power. That's great. Mm -hmm. I was interested that you included the word unapologetically in the title of the book. Why was that important to include that word unapologetically? And I was called out on it by people who are conditioned to say, I think when you're using this word unapologetic, you're really giving women this license to behave um, like rascals, really. (laughs) But I feel like it's necessary. It's almost like um, unconditioning that we have to do because to be apologetic for our sheer existence has been ingrained not only into women, but gender expansive beings and um, uh, pretty much all beings who are not not on the top of that ego chain of who a person should be, what gender, what color, what race, what religion, what profession. You know, we humans have made so many judgments around what's at the top, what's in the middle, what's at the bottom. And I've often found, and actually I was surprised. I thought that when I was growing up in India that, hey, maybe if I travel out of India, I'm going to find that women are not apologetic, but they are. Mm-hmm. And I and I work with topmost CEOs. I work with, I've worked with um, film stars. I have, I have counseled all kinds of people. And I found somewhere that, They may even overcompensate and be really big and diva-like in their life, but it's stemming from an apologetic tendency. Mm. And I wanted to address that, Laurel. I just wanted to call a spade a spade and not have to explain so much. (laughs) Not apologize. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this book is written for women and you even have women in the subtitle, but it strikes me that it's also important, an important time in the world for men to access the feminine qualities that these goddesses represent as well. And that this is something that the whole world could benefit from. What would you say about that? I agree with you. And yet as a, you know, as a podcaster, sometimes you decide on a theme and you want to address a very specific mindset. I definitely wanted to have women in the subtitle of my book because I don't want them to think, I wanted them to have that special book that calls out to all women. I wanted to have a conversation with my sisters. I'm also hoping it won't be a put off. And so in every podcast, every conversation, I, every chance I get to have a real time conversation, I say it's for anyone who's feeling disempowered no matter what their gender because the planet can do a number on our power and start sucking it out of us for various reasons we give it away Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
You just mentioned, but I wanted to perhaps call it out a little bit more, for those who identify as feminine, no matter what their identified gender is birth, what do you think the benefit is for them of this uh, study and awareness of this divine goddess within? The divine goddess dwells in each one of us. She is our hidden latent shakti or power, so to say. The power to be kind and generous and accommodating, as well as at times indifferent and um, more, more careful or more considered. All of this requires power, whatever version of it. And this power is feminine. It's very interesting that the Vedic tradition from India that I represent that Yogacharya Ellen O'Brien forwards, some of us teachers forward this in the world in its most authentic form. And uh, this tradition defines power itself as feminine, mm. which is really beautiful because with that word feminine and that vision comes this ability of power to be collaborative, to be kind, and yet to be a force of good. Mm -hmm. And at times this power has to be um, fierce, like Durga represents as a goddess, um, abundant like Lakshmi and peaceful like Saraswati. It has different facets, but this power for sure dwells in each heart, in each being. And that's why for all beings, whatever be their gender at birth and whatever be the gender they identify with, discovering this innate divine feminine shakti, aligning our hearts and minds with it more, letting it influence our conversations, our attitudes, our goals, uh, letting it support us while we engage in relationships, intimate, personal, professional, would be a great idea because then we come from this radical wholeness that is empowered from within. We feel enough from within. We're not so needy. We're not so subject to approval. We are not so dependent upon validation. Uh, and if there are no role models or groups that can accommodate us, we can become our own role model. We can become our own uh, family, so to say. And this, and this begins with a recognition of uh, that essence within you. The goddess stories, the mythology that I share from India are really then just tools to remember the lessons. It's not necessary to connect with the Hindu goddesses uh, from a religious perspective or from any other way, except to see these as eternal stories between the dark and the light mm. and then how to embody the light more and more. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the way that you said that, how to embody the light more and more. That's beautiful. Yogacharya O'Brien, who you just mentioned, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is the founder of the Yoga Hour and the spiritual director still. <clears throat> she wrote a review of your book and she, she, her quote is, the book is not about the goddess. It is the voice of the goddess, bold and clear with a message ancient and ever new. You are that. Mm -hmm. 
would you say more about what you think she meant by that? This is the voice of the goddess and that you are that. I am grateful that some of the people I can consider as an inspiration and as a personal guide and friend, Yogacharya is one of those people. In fact, she's one of those rare people in my life who I can go to and share and talk. And so she knew about my journey even before she had the book in the hand. And she knew that the goddess was using my mind and body as an instrument really to convey her potent message to the world that wake up. And then the goddess wanted people to come from this point of view where we think the goddess is out there somewhere mm -hmm. in a geographically inaccessible location right. in the cosmos to being, to being one with her. You are that is what Yogacharya thundered through her words, uh, really a transmission um, to all readers that uh, all distances and differences between you and a goddess dimension are imagined really. Mm. And you can flow her power once you have been instructed into what it looks like, how does it come alive and how can you use it through day-to-day -day modern life examples. And that's what the book attempts to do. I think it was a it was a testimonial that spoke to my truth as an author, but it also spoke to the greater truth for all humanity. You are that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the prologue of the book, you say that goddess power is available to all of us, and you offer many examples of that power. All of those examples that you gave seemed very important, but we can't don't have time to talk about all, but I will ask you about three. Three that stood out to me are bold rather than fearful, abundant rather than scarce, and joyful rather than sorrowful. Would you say more? Let's start with bold rather than fearful. Well, how is this an example of goddess power? When fear is lurking, we are estranged from our higher self, which is the same as the goddess dimension within us. And when fear is lurking, and when I was in that fear place, I can speak from experience, and you might nod along, and every all our listeners might agree that we're even fearful in our goodness, even in our kindness, even in our generosity. Fear is a place where we are shrinking. Fear is a no-power place. And I, I'm a fearful mother, fearful wife, fearful gardener, fearful teacher, fearful citizen, fearful driver of my car. Just fear <laughs> shows up everywhere. Right. I wanted to contrast that fear with boldness. Mm. And I'm going to use a, a, an irreverent term like heck. You know, heck, yes, I'm going to make some mistakes. Yeah. Because with all my earnestness, I might still make a mistake, but a certain boldness enters the human character. And as a result, we lead larger, fuller, bigger lives. We don't just think about it or aspire for it. We actually go out and write those books that might not do well or write a blog that somebody might not read or record a podcast that no one would hear. <laughs> but we're there and we're doing it. 
Yeah. And I have gone through these these portals of I I remember one showing up in a classroom and two people were there, just two. And later I found out that there was an obstruction on the street and a sudden parade and police and people couldn't make it. Yeah. But I taught those two people and those two students are in my life till today. Mm. I taught those two people. And, and I think it's that boldness to, to, to be able to meet a room which expected 200 people and see two. Mm-hmm. I was still a bold goddess teacher then. Mm. And I'm also used to huge audiences and worldwide seekers and I'm still bold there so Mm -hmm. boldness is not just about a rebellion but boldness is full-heartedness a full throttle passion to meet life that's power the goddess power Mm -hmm. and then you talked about um abundance rather than abundance abundant rather than scarcity mindset is not is not the way to go and I have never personally ever touched the scarcity mindset, but I have seen people seething with it. And that scarcity mindset even enters our relationship where we even hold on to toxic relationships because we think we're so scarce and who will show up in our life? I better just hold on to this person, even though they are emotionally, physically or sexually abusive and disrespectful. Scarcity can show up in the way we treat ourselves, value ourselves, buy things for ourselves, or even listen to a podcast that can change us, but we feel so unworthy and so such in scarcity of our potential that we never begin really that journey. Scarcity is a curse. Whereas when a daffodil blooms, it blooms knowing that there is an abundance of support for it to bloom. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a mindset that every blade of grass has, but we can get low on it. So abundance is not just money, but abundance is an abundance of faith, mm-hmm. an abundance of trust, an abundance of hope, and an abundance of positivity, and an abundance of even knowing that I can ask for help. This mm-hmm. abundance comes from knowing the goddess within and some of the instructions I provide in my book. Mm-hmm. And yes. finally, the joy is so important versus that suffering mindset because it's like I've met people who are committed to suffering Mm. and they'll find a way to suffer and if you're giving them a lecture on how not to suffer they might think well this lecture is too long and as a result suffer (laughs) or too short and therefore suffer (laughs) yes Or, or too Indian an accent and therefore suffer you know something or the other Whereas when we connect with the goddess power, the air makes us happy. The sun makes us happy. Mm-hmm. 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 Somebody's presence and their absence makes us grateful for that we had some contact with them. Right, right. So, so, so joy is an inward attitude. It's how your power flows to make you happy or deeply unhappy because power is like a force and it can... It can fulfill your wishes. But when we connect with divine feminine Shakti, we will find that we wake up more positive, not not disillusioned kind of, not like delusional positive, but real positive, Mm -hmm. um, hopeful, and with a commitment to be happy, like enjoying even your cup of tea 
with mm -hmm. happiness. Take simple things to be happy. Mm -hmm. I wanted to put this contrast out because, Laurel, people with incredible amounts of power are ensuring themselves to be unhappy, to be stuck in scarcity and fear mode. And so we hear of heart attacks at the top of their career, in, in, in young age, strokes and blood pressure and disease and suffering and anxiety and depression. What's all this? They have power, quote unquote, but is that power working for them? Probably not. And that's why, thank you for asking these questions because this, this deeper teasing out of what I wrote can really happen in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel so fortunate to be the other one that gets to ask you these questions. Um, when you were talking about um, joyful rather than sorrowful, it just was reminding me of one of the, of one of the uh, niyamas, uh, you know, one of the ethical principles from, uh, from yoga, from yoga philosophy that talks about uh, contentment. Of course, you know, and that contentment, um, that ability to be content, no matter what is happening in the world is such, um, it's such a marvelous thing. It, it's so freeing. It is so freeing and contentment is one of a goddess quality. That is what Lakshmi, the goddess Lakshmi is associated with Santosha. And it is said, in fact, she's called Santoshi Ma, the mother oh. who is content. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Yeah. So as a reminder for listeners, I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the Yoga Hour. And today I'm here with Acharya Shunya, who's the author of the book we're discussing today, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. We are going to have part two of this conversation in a few weeks, so make sure that you stick around for that. Um, we will post links to her two websites, acharyashunya.com, and again, acharya is A-C-H-A-R-Y-A, acharya, shunya, S-H-U-N-Y-A.com, and awakenedself.com. Those links will be on our website at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Acharyaji, your grandfather, who you write about in the book, was a very powerful influence in your life. You say that he was a devotee of the divine feminine. And in our lineage, Paramahansa Yoga, Paramahansa Yogananda uh, was also a devotee of the Divine Mother. And you share a teaching from him on uh, page four regarding the Divine Feminine. Could you share that with us? We'll give you a minute. Yeah. Baba, Baba believed in the non-dual truth of Atma or the self as pure consciousness which is dwelling in all of us. And it is imminent and transcendental to transcendental truth. At the same time, he knew as all wise men and women and people of non-binary gender know that that same truth can appear to us, can manifest in the form that is beloved to us. And divine masculine, divine feminine, divine transgender, divine mixed gender. And Mother Durga, 
was very, very beloved to Baba, my guru, my grandfather. We actually have a temple of Madhurga, 300-year-old temple in an ancestral home in India. Oh, wow. In, in the holy city of Ayodhya. And Baba shared a very vital lesson. He said that she is one with your higher self. She is no different. And so the, the, the quest for your own inner truth can begin at any time, but it's going to lead you to that divine truth that shines as Durga. In fact, I remember many potent messages with her like at river. He told me that the river is Durga, the sky is Durga, um, the birds are Durga. And we had like this, these moments where we would be, we would be lost in goddess consciousness. And I would, I would be young and I would feed her. And then he said, and she dwells in you. So it would be a transmission at that time where I would lose my body consciousness as a little me mm-hmm. worrying about that she has to go back home and do her homework or she has to feed her cow as part of my, you know, household chores. What I remembered was that I'm Durga. Mm. And these teachings stayed with me, Laurel, at times when I didn't feel like Durga, when I'd lost my power. Then those conversations would come back to you and I'd start searching again for her, not only on my altar or in my family temple or in some image of her in my culture, but in my own higher capacities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. In the introduction to you book, you tell us that the Supreme Goddess is Shakti and that all other goddesses are expressions of the one Shakti, which I think this is a really important point um, that these are facets of the same goddess and not it's not a um, polytheistic uh, view of the world. So could you please tell us more about that, about Shakti and how the three goddesses that you focus on in the book are expressions of Shakti? That's a big misunderstanding that people have about the Vedic Hindu tradition that they couldn't make up their mind about who's their god. (laughs) And so their gods show up in the form of humans, animals, plants, trees. Um, but actually, the the eternal question mark was, well, who is not God? Mm. If God does dwells within us, then who who should we include and who should we exclude? So one is that that is why this tradition is populated with with any version of God that you desire. Secondly, Shakti is, Shakti literally means the one that is able. Mm. Shakti, the Sanskrit word means one that is completely able. Um, Like it can, it has no parameters to the ability. There's no limitations to that ability. And this Shakti is the, the divine mother, the goddess. And she has so many facets. So when she becomes when she gets filled with dharmic rage, righteous rage, to put things back in order in the universe, our micro universe of our being or the macro universe of this whole world, then she is Durga. That time she's just channeling her Shakti. When Shakti channels Shakti, 
for the good of all beings. That time she's Durga. Mm. And Shakti channels Shakti to make our life beautiful, prosperous, abundant, playful, enjoyable. Then she becomes Lakshmi. Mm. And when Shakti becomes our intuition, wisdom from our teacher, from scriptures, um, of any tradition, when she becomes our inner knowingness, when she becomes the enlightenment that we experience during stillness and meditation, mm. then she is Saraswati. Yeah. When she is bare bone, raw truth, mm. then she is Kali. Mm. When she is domesticated and mothering and nurturing, then she is Parvati. Mm. When she is um, uh, sexual and pleasureful, then she is Rati. So there are thousands of goddesses and their names and their archetypes, yeah. main ones being Durga, Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kali, Parvati, who I talk about in my book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But really they are facets of that one divine, unboxable, infinite truth. And yeah. we can access her through our own higher self. Mm. In reading the book, I was interested to read about um, Shakti as governing over or controlling not just creation, which that part I was more familiar with, but also the sustenance and then the destruction. And I thought that that was really important, that all of that was under, was under uh, Shakti. Yes, because power is what is needed mm -hmm. yeah. to birth to maintain something in harmony. And then when it is time to let go, mm -hmm. to dissolve. And if, and if we don't do it, it is done for us yes. by the higher cosmic Shakti. Yes. But when, but when we are willing to be aligned with her, then we can give birth to ideas or thoughts or uh, organizations or relationships. We can sustain them. And then we can let them go. We can dissolve them, allow them to fade away or go away. Yeah. And Shakti at the higher level uh, is said to then birth, sustain, and annihilate universes. As we all know now, universes are born, sustained, and then they fade away. Mm. Birthing and dying universes. Mm. And she's that cosmic power. And for our own body being mind, she is that microcosmic power within us. Mm -hmm. The more we connect with her, the more we connect with her as a spiritual entity and as our wisdom guide muse within, the more all these three things will happen more smoothly, more intuitively, mm -hmm. and with less and less suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting view. I love it. Um, the the this recognition that each of those three takes power, right? It takes power to to birth. It takes power to sustain, and it takes power to end. You know, to to complete. So um, anyway, that's that's just. I thought that was really really lovely. So I wanted to ask, particularly during this conversation about Durga, and then we will get to the other two goddesses that you focus on, to Lakshmi and Saraswati in our next conversation. But what, who is Durga? Can you talk to us about Durga, starting with just who she is? 
She is the warrior goddess version of Shakti, Divine Mother. In fact, she is such an important manifestation of Shakti that she's synonymous with Shakti. In fact, Durga, Lakshmi and Saraswati are called as her daughters or her sisters or, um, or her forms. So yeah. she's such a popular goddess. And when India was enslaved by a colonial British empire, for a while there, we had conceived of India as none but Mother Durga. Like she's not going to stay restrained for long because she becomes synonymous with not putting up with false um, bondages, um, enslaving bondages, enslavement to addictions. Like say you want to get rid of your addiction to cigarette smoking or alcohol or a toxic relationship. Then also you want to channel Durga or you know you want to break away from obsessive compulsive thinking or patterns of negativity then also you want durga so then who is durga then this is the goddess that releases us from our own misfortune our own bondages our own enslavements our own ignorance as spiritual folks we don't like to be ignorant uh, as um, patanjali said avidya we want to break free from it then this is where goddess Durga is really important. Typically, she's shown riding a lion. Yes. And, and it's a masculine lion. And I think that represents a lot of like, she's astride, like her feminine self is sitting on top of her masculine extension. Mm. So it shows balance because these animals are not beasts of burdens. Burden, they're called Vahana. They are an extension of the goddess. Mm. And... Um, so she is really the, the the queen of the jungle, so to say, of jungle of existence, of samsara, she, right. because she's riding the most fierce animal in that jungle, which is the lion. So she's like, there is nobody who can contest her. And she's shown in her mythology, in her stories to protect the universe again and again from different dark demonic forces. For example, these are called asuras, mm -hmm. and there is the mahishasura, which is a half buffalo, half human-like stubborn demon, which really represents our own ego. Mm. And in the battle with uh, Durga, Mahishasura keeps changing its form, mm. just like our ego keeps pretending like it's being cured or, or cleaned out or uplifted, but it's really pretending. There's so much self-deception going on here. But <laughs> Durga is then like our own self, which sees through the drama. And right. she annihilates Mahishasura. But when she kills him and blood is dripping from his body, it's not like a physical grotesque killing. It is like, it's like mukti of freedom for that ego to now become absorbed in Durga. And metaphorically, it's like our own self seeing through the games and the hustle of the ego and all the self-deception and all the masks and all the falsehoods. And then she just says enough already. And then she's done. And then it it as it dies, it is said that Maishasura got absorbed into Durga. He that 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 demon didn't go to hell, but became embraced in divine mother's mm -hmm. compassionate heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So she's also the force and she's also the power of compassion. Mm -hmm. She's not, she's not hard on the dharmic ones, on her seekers and her devotees. She's like a mother. She's like a lioness who was, who is fierce with others, but her own children, her own cubs can lie under her underbelly protected, drinking her milk. So I feel like her cub drinking her milk a lot of the times, <laughs> just protected. Yeah. And whether I had to face the wrath of a school teacher mm. or whether I had to face the wrath of a disease mm. or the wrath of life circumstances when my loved ones died early, I remembered her. Mm. And in her iconography, she's shown holding, she has like 10 hands, which shows all her abilities, all her powers and some 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 people define her as a multitasker i wouldn't do that <laughs> i i she's not crazy busy i think this is just she's she has so much mindfulness and attention to everything she's doing she's holding the whole universe together including the planets on their orbit and the whole universe requires power and it is she who's holding everything up in just the perfect harmony and order. But she's holding a lot of weapons to show her ability to come in there and clean up our own mind, like her sword will destroy attachments, right? You know, like that. Yeah. But she's also shown in Abhaya Mudra, and those who watch us in the video form can see this fear not mudra that she often has. So just gazing at her deity or imagining her doing this gives you power and uh, she's sometimes also shown holding a lotus of enlightenment because the spiritual journey requires a lot of power yeah. and a lot of willingness to destroy um, crazy obstacles like laziness or um, lethargy or sloth ah, yeah you know on the way to to a spiritual lifestyle ah. Beautiful. I wanted to come back to this idea about um, power and being fierce, because I think that that may be something that is can be intimidating to some women. Um, you mentioned the sword that that Durga carries in one of her hands. And by the way, the illustrations of the goddesses in the book are just gorgeous. They're just really, really beautiful. Um, when you pre-order the book, you can uh, receive it as soon as it as soon as it's released in just a few weeks and see these just beautiful, beautiful images of these three uh, goddesses. And as you said, Durga is riding the lion and in one of her one of her uh, hands is the sword. But it gets back to this idea of being fierce and powerful. Um, you write that Durga is an archetype of dharmic power in service of the greater good. Would you say more about that? The word power is not exactly a word that settles easily with people, especially people who have been indoctrinated to be powerless. It's like if you're pious, you must be poor. And if you're good, you must not show any power. These are some false beliefs put out there, like, you know, being humble to a fault almost. Mm. But power is needed to to stay on the path of goodness to protect those who are on the path of goodness because there are and the vedic tradition does not 
have this this illusion that everybody just because everybody shares a common self does not mean everybody has the same mind and there are some pretty dark sleepwalking delusional minds out there which may in future awaken and enlighten sure but for right now in your story too there are two kinds of people as populated in the goddess mythology and they are known as devas and asuras and asuras are the people who are selfish, self-absorbed, self-entitled, and they would not stop at anything to get their way, which may include hurting you mm -hmm. and gossiping about you, stabbing you in the back, betraying you and betraying the planet, betraying the environment, betraying Mother Nature, Mother Earth. Like these are the people who are, who are raping minors or who are peddling drugs who are doing what it takes to get ahead without a single thought and then there are the devas these are the good people this includes our teachers this includes our friends our guides the real people who stand by you who got your back who are gonna tell you the truth even if it's hard for your benefit in a kind way these are the people we want to hold on to and this discernment between these two kinds of people is important. And in her own mythology, goddess faces asuras too, but she doesn't face them but some by some false bypassing pretense that all beings are okay, all beings are love, and all beings are peaceful, and then just being a victim of these people. She's in Durga is even in her womanly avatar as Ambika. She's even sexually objectified and an object of lust for some asuras. But she uses her sword and her different weapons to ensure her sovereignty, sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual. And what she's really showing us is that please don't just close your eyes and walk around thinking that everybody reflects your sentiments and they may be different levels of boundary and even proactivity from defense to offense to protect yourself so the vedas are very interesting unlike buddhism which uh, which is a great religion but it prescribes kind of a blanket recommendation for non-violence ahimsa the vedas were more pragmatic and they said ahimsa paramo dharma like it is the highest dharma but at times for the protection of dharma itself and dharmic people, you may have to resort to very careful, very judicious use of maybe raising your voice, maybe, you know, getting a restraining order. And so it was a much more pragmatic application of that same value rather than an absolute prescription. Mm. And um, we see that in the goddess mythology and in all gods and goddesses from India who are holding a lotus or a mala or a water jar pitcher, which are all signs of peace and enlightenment, but they're also holding some weapon or the other, which is also like, don't mess with me and don't mess with the good people because I'm there to protect them. Yeah. And I think that is why the goddess has to rise to defend dharma, to defend goodness, to keep the moral order intact and to ensure that rhythm and harmony prevails. Mm. And I think this is where we can look at it like as asura is outside us, like as a person or a group of people, uh, the malevolent ones, but asuras are inside us also. 
I was pulling us down. Yeah. Which are pulling us down our own self-abandonment, our own self-betrayal, our own, uh, like, you know, calling yourself a loser or things like that. You know, these voices inside us that always second guess us. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, you know, it's you, you have to bring Durga to say enough, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's lovely that you said that because I was going to mention that. I thought that that um, was was really useful in the book that they talk about the that you talk about the asuras not just as as those without but also the within. Yes. You know that there we have the Devi and the uh, asura within us, and the battle is more Devi, <laughs> more Devi, less asura. I personally feel all of this was metaphorical to begin with when you go to the scriptures of the Devi such as Devi Mahatmaya, Devi Upanishad, this is all metaphorical and it's all for your inner journey. But in the modern day Hinduism, it all became very literal mm. and very much outside, like Devi, Devi kills Mahishasura somewhere in some cosmic story. And there is almost no internalization of well, mm. what does this mean for me? And probably that is why my book, that connects the external with the internal at every juncture mm -hmm. is so important right. because then we're not just reviewing a story right we are participating in a calling right for the Durga to awaken and thunder with dharma within yeah beautiful I uh, am um, very surprised. We've already come to uh, just about the last question. So in closing, what words of inspiration or encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners? Simply this, just imagine a world where all beings feel equal and they are roaring with self-expression, self-celebration. What would that world be? And how can you participate in it? Number one, you can find your roar, your authentic voice, and then never stop roaring again. Beautiful. Find your roar, your authentic voice. I love that. And with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show, and my guest today has been Acharya Shunya. She's an award-winning and internationally renowned spiritual teacher and scholar of Advaita, which is non-dual wisdom. She's a classically trained master of both yoga and Ayurveda. She offers many courses and retreats and is the author of numerous books. Her new book that we've been discussing today is Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful which will be published in just a few weeks in September, 2022. Her websites are acharyashunya.com and awakenedself.com. I also wanted to mention that Acharya will be offering a free online book launch and women's empowerment retreat on Saturday, September 17th, 2022 from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find out more about this on her website, acharyashunya.com slash events. We will have a link to Acharya Shunya's website on our website at theyogahour.com. Acharya, did you want to say just a little bit about this uh, online book launch? I am so happy that 
at this online book launch, we will have the presence of Yogacharya, I don't know, Brian, blessing us. And she's going to be imparting teachings on how to roar like Saraswati, because she really is Saraswati incarnate. And she will be joined by more spiritual teachers, leaders in their capacity, in, in, in different capacities, who will be sharing their journey about roaring and also on different facets of their own version of what it means to roar. And I hope people join us for this wonderful event. All you have to do is register and just come be with us in this beautiful ambience with myself, Yogacharya Alan O'Brien, Richard Miller, Professor Rita Sharma, Kirtanatis Nina Rao, the beautiful sacred illustrator of, our, of the book, those images you were talking about, Ekabhumi Charles and a revolutionary yogini of our time, Susanna Bergetaki. And all of it is available for free so that we could more and more people could be part of this special event. Oh, thank you for that. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you. For listeners, we hope that we'll join us for many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, there's daily meditation in the mornings at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. There's also a Sunday satsang, which is a gathering of truth seekers at 10 a.m. each week. All these times are Pacific time. And Yogacharya O'Brien will be returning from her summer sabbatical on Sunday, September 11th. So you might want to mark that down and make sure you don't miss it. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be joined by Nancy Slonam Aroni, author of the book Memoir as Medicine. We will be discussing how writing through where we have been provides a pathway to deep understanding, profound healing, and unexpected joy. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.